Every so often, we see a resurgence of a myth, whether it's caused by a renewed interest from media or a newfound audience of believers. With the rise of social media, some old myths have found new life, and maybe none more so than the unicorn. In the 90s, we had Lisa Frank trapper keepers and decor covered in rainbows and unicorns, along with colorful versions of real-life animals like tigers and dolphins. As time went on, this aesthetic fell out of fashion, but the recent trend of unicorn-themed everything has brought about a whole new aesthetic, perfect for garnering views and followers on social media platforms like Instagram. In the last few years, we've seen unicorns everywhere, from drinks at Starbucks and cereal to birthday party decor and clothing, including onesie pajamas for adults. Even My Little Pony has made a major comeback, finding support in the most unlikely place with adult men, also known as bronies. Unicorns have that eye-catching appeal, a combination of color, beauty, fun, and mystery, all rolled into one. Not to mention the nostalgia of things like Lisa Frank for people who were kids in the 80s and 90s. I think we all know that unicorns are mythological creatures, something that's existence has never been proven. What's surprising, however, is how often unicorns pop up in ancient and medieval bestiaries, religious texts, and letters being spoken about as if they're real animals. In fact, unicorns don't show up in places you would expect, like Greek or Roman mythology. Unlike the winged pegasus, who goes on multiple adventures after springing forth from his murdered mother Medusa's neck. So, why does Pegasus show up in Greek mythology and unicorns don't? Well, put simply, why bother creating myths around something that you believe actually exists? Unicorns didn't really become a topic of conversation until around 400 BCE, but it may have even earlier origins. In Lascaux, France, there are prehistoric cave paintings which depict an animal seemingly with one horn. From a creative perspective, this image depicts a unicorn. From a logical perspective, it's a two-horned animal like an ox or antelope of some kind, viewed in profile, obscuring the second horn. There have been unsubstantiated reports of unicorns in prehistoric cave paintings in South Africa, leading one scientist to posit that unicorns were a real animal, now extinct along with the other megafauna from the late Pleistocene period. Unicorns were used on seals by the Indus Valley civilization in what is now Pakistan, 
These seals are thought to have represented people of importance or an upper class with significant power. However, these unicorns are, once again, likely a bull or ox viewed in profile. The gates of the ancient city of Babylon in modern-day Iraq depicted unicorns, although these unicorns look suspiciously like bulls, with an obvious bovine appearance and curved horn. Close neighbors of the Babylonians, the Assyrians, may provide some clarification in this particular case, as archaeological evidence has shown they had frequent interactions with an animal they called the Rimu, known better as aurochs. The aurochs was a type of massive wild ox, known for both its poor temperament and impressive size. The Assyrians, especially Assyrian kings, were big fans of hunting these dangerous creatures for sport. Geographically speaking, it's implausible that the Babylonians would have unicorns while the Assyrians had aurochs. Side note, if aurochs sound familiar to you, it's likely because you've heard of the Nazis' attempts at bringing the animal back from extinction. In order to create what they believed to be a pure Germany, Nazis were not only experimenting with humans and murdering people that they found undesirable, but they were also experimenting with animals, and they believed that bringing back extinct animals like the aurochs would help lead to the environmental purification of Germany. The Heck brothers, two Nazis working toward the animal side of the Nazis' attempt at, quote, purifying Germany, began backbreeding, selecting cattle from various parts of the world with the qualities they believed fit the aurochs, including horn shape and size and coat color. And then they began a breeding program that attempted to further these selected traits while breeding out traits brought on by domestication, like the smaller size and better temperament. The scientific community still debates on whether or not this type of de-extinction of a species is possible. What the Hex created was not an aurochs, but is known today as Heck cattle. They are mostly feral, known for their ability to survive with little to no human involvement, and their unmanageable temperament. And on the subject of unmanageable temperaments, let's get back to unicorns. In the Hebrew Bible and the Old Testament of the Christian Bible, unicorns are mentioned between seven and nine times. It's spoken about just as matter-of-fact as any real animal, not as something fanciful or mythological. But, before you start telling people that Jews and Christians believe unicorns are real, you should know by now that, of course, there's a catch. The original Hebrew word used in these contexts was ra'em. When the books of the Old Testament were translated into Greek, there wasn't a direct translation for ra'em, and the animal being referenced wasn't something that the Greeks were familiar with so they basically took their best guess at the closest approximation they could come up with 
and that turned out to be the word monokeros, which translates into one-horned. Later on, when the Greek translation was further translated into Latin, monokeros was translated as unicornus, which also means one-horned, but does not specifically refer to a unicorn in the way we think of it, but to any creature bearing only one horn. A rhinoceros is unicornous, as well as a dung beetle. But this description would also fit the animal that we know today as the unicorn. So, if Ra'aim isn't a unicorn, what is it? To be fair, we still don't really know, but we have a few good guesses based on context. In some of the biblical contexts of the unicorn, it's believed that the reference is actually to an oryx, which is a type of antelope that does have similar horns to those of a unicorn, except oryx have two horns and they are backward facing. In the book of Job, Ra'aim is described as having great strength, but refusing to serve men for purposes like plowing fields or as manageable livestock of any kind. There are two pretty solid candidates for this animal's identity, the rhinoceros and, once again, the aurochs. For somewhere around 55 million years, rhinos have existed on the planet, much longer than the 7 million years or so that humans have existed. Which means that humans have always walked side by side with rhinos, but not once have we successfully domesticated them. We may have tamed some, but even tame rhinos are unbelievably dangerous creatures, known for both their strength and their bad temper, much like the Ra'aim. Also known for strength and a bad temper is the Aurochs, which had already started on its descent into extinction by the time the Greeks started work on their translation from Hebrew. So most Greeks would not have been familiar with the Aurochs. And while domestic cattle did descend from Aurochs, domestic cattle were likely selectively bred from the most docile aurochs that would have been taken from their herd at a very young age. Cattle are said to be one of the earliest animals domesticated by humans, so when the Hebrew Bible was being written, domestic cattle would have been widely available, and the necessity of capturing and taming the ornery aurochs would have been unnecessarily difficult and dangerous. There is a story within Jewish folklore that provides an explanation as to why unicorns no longer exist. The story explains that unicorns made it onto Noah's Ark, but they were, for lack of a better term, divas. They required excessive amounts of time and energy, and since they began to take time away from Noah's other duties, he banished them from the Ark. They then either drowned in the flood or were able to swim to safety and live hidden somewhere in the world. Or maybe they became hidden in plain sight when they transformed into the narwhal. Jewish folklore also calls the unicorn the fiercest of all creatures, capable of killing an elephant with one slash of its horn. Adam, 
the biblical first man is credited with naming the unicorn, and since it was the first he named out of all of the creatures he was tasked with naming, it was held in higher regard than the other creatures of the earth. When Adam and Eve sinned and were forced to leave the Garden of Eden, the unicorn went with them, and because of this became associated with purity and chastity. Around 400 BCE, Theseus, physician to the Persian ruler Artaxerxes II, first referenced the unicorn in his text entitled On India. He called the creature the wild ass of India and described it as similar in size to a horse, but with a large horn centered on its head and apparently an animal that was not eaten due to the bitterness of its meat. It was a formidable creature, only able to be killed by javelin and bow, but beneficial in that its horn could be used as an antidote to just about any poison. Pliny the Elder later discussed a very ferocious beast that he called the Indian Ass in his text Natural History, described as follows. Similar in the rest of its body to a horse, with the head of a deer, the feet of an elephant, the tail of a boar, a deep bellowing voice, and a single black horn, two cubits in length, standing out in the middle of the forehead. Also, it cannot be taken alive. Two cubits is approximately three feet or just under one meter. I don't know about you, but my immediate thought hearing that description is that he's talking about a rhino. But how would you describe a rhino to someone if they had never seen one before, except by comparing it to animals your audience would already know? Later on, another Roman author would discuss India's one-horned horse, explaining that what he called the monoceros was also sometimes called carcassonon by the locals, which was suspiciously similar to one Arabic word for rhinoceros, carcadena. As more time passed, the unicorn began to take on a new appearance, becoming smaller in size, about the size of a goat kid, and similar in appearance to a goat with a beard and a lion's tail. This iteration of the unicorn also has cloven hooves, which goats have, but horses do not. But this is a step closer to the unicorn we're familiar with. We first saw this description sometime around the 12th century. You've likely seen this version of the unicorn on the coat of arms of Scotland, sometimes depicted with a chain and collar around its neck, but more commonly depicted with a broken chain attached to the collar, representing its freedom and resistance to being captured or tamed. This unicorn also appears on the coat of arms of the United Kingdom, with a lion representing England. It was during the Middle Ages that unicorns became more associated with purity, and medieval bestiaries frequently explained that unicorns were wily and nigh-uncatchable, that they could be tricked into capture with the help of a virginal woman. Really, all she had to do was wait in the forest 
and any nearby unicorn would approach her, led by her virtue, and would lay its head on her lap or chest. This meant the unicorn was caught off guard when hunters sprung the trap and captured the beast. There are parallels in this story, not only with the purity associated with the unicorn from its time with Adam and Eve, but some claim the unicorn, white as snow, represents Christ, and the Virgin is Mary. Although, it's pretty undeniable that the unicorn has a decidedly phallic and masculine connotation as well. This connection is only deepened by the claims during the Middle Ages of unicorn horns serving as an aphrodisiac. During the 13th century, Marco Polo claimed to have seen a unicorn during his travels, calling the beast hideous and monstrous, and remarking that just about everything about the unicorn is the opposite of what Europe believed it to be. Interest in unicorns continued from the Middle Ages into the Renaissance. There is a set of tapestries entitled The Hunt of the Unicorn, created around the 1500s, that depicts a unicorn hunt from start to finish. There are seven tapestry panels, starting with noblemen and hounds pursuing a unicorn. With the help of a virgin, the unicorn is caught and killed, and then the noblemen return to a castle with the body. The last panel of the tapestries depicts a very much alive unicorn tied to a pomegranate tree within a fence in a beautiful field. The unicorn's white coat is stained with a red substance, which would seemingly be blood, but some scholars believe the staining is actually from the pomegranate fruits. The use of pomegranates specifically is interesting, as pomegranates were associated with virility and fertility at the time. The Middle Ages is also when unicorn products began being marketed across Europe. Royalty, popes, and the wealthy sought out unicorn horns to protect themselves from poison. But the claimed medicinal qualities of unicorn products, including horns and milk, made them popular with anyone who could pay. Most unicorn products were only affordable for the rich, but some unicorn products were sold as pills or as shards of horn or bones, and these small charms could be afforded by everyday people. Some members of royalty would use eating utensils made from unicorn horns or would place a horn on their dining table to ward off any poison. One story about King James I claims that James had purchased unicorn horn to be ground up into drinks and food to detoxify poisons, but he wanted to ensure that he had not been ripped off, and so he called one of his servants into the room to test the horn. He mixed ground horn into poison and instructed the servant to drink it. The king was disappointed when the servant died within minutes, as he had been one of his favorite servants. Since unicorns are not real, sourcing their horns was exceedingly difficult, so merchants would sell bones of animals like dogs as part of unicorn horns. 
as well as horns from domestic animals like bulls and goats, and more exotic animals with horns that would not be recognized by Europeans. For anyone who could afford it and had the right connection, a complete unicorn horn could be sourced, but they were worth a fortune. Queen Elizabeth I was said to have a complete unicorn horn, truly a prized possession, and worth enough money that its sale could purchase an entire castle and estate with a handsome sum of gold left over. Complete unicorn horns were hard to fake, since very few animal horns are long, pointed, and spiraling like a unicorn's. And so, these usually came from one of the only animals whose natural horn fit the bill. Narwhals. Narwhals are a type of whale that have a long, pointed tooth that grows out of the front of their face, making them look very much like a unicorn in the ocean. Once the Age of Enlightenment began around the 16 to 1700s, most people no longer believed in the existence of unicorns. They were aware of the art, stories, and long-held belief that they existed, but as the world globalized and more animals were identified and cataloged, unicorns as Europe viewed them were still not found. Some people held the belief that unicorns had existed previously, but that man had hunted the creature to extinction, which brings up an important point. The lack of concern for the possibility of an animal hunted to extinction is striking because that mindset continued until it was far too late for many animals. And while unicorns were not one of them, the aurochs was. Just within the last 100 years, around 500 animals have gone extinct, almost all at the hands of overhunting, deforestation, climate change, and urbanization. There are also still a number of people who believe in the medicinal properties of some animals, which has led to the decimation of populations of multiple animals, including pangolins, rhinos, and tigers. Some animals even suffer the effects of the hunting of other animals, like the vaquita, which is Mexico's only native marine mammal. Vaquitas are the world's smallest porpoise, and fewer than 20 of them still survive in the wild today. Vaquitas often get caught in fishing nets and drown or are killed and discarded when they're found in the nets. The damage that humans have done to animals and the planet itself is shocking and disturbing. The idea that within a generation, gorillas, orangutans, and tigers could be extinct may seem unlikely since there are many breeding programs in place across the world, but it's a very real possibility. In the last 100 years, we've seen the loss of thylacines, Sicilian wolves, Xerxes blue butterflies, Guam flying foxes, Caspian tigers, and West African black rhinos. The loss of a species isn't just devastating because of the knowledge that humans caused the mass deaths, but it's also ecologically devastating, creating gaps within the food chain, allowing other species to grow unchecked and disease to run rampant. 
One example of the importance of just one species was fully realized in 1995 when wolves were reintroduced to Yellowstone National Park. In the 1930s, wolves went extinct within the park, and while that left other large predators in the park, it created a large gap. This predation gap allowed the elk within the park to move around less to avoid predators, and so the elk began overwintering in areas they did not normally stay, which led to them eating a large number of willow trees within the park. Willow trees are necessary for beavers to survive the winter, being a major food source for them. Fewer beavers led to a significant change in the ecology and hydrology in the park, which led to depletion within the water table, as well as more runoff and erosion. When wolves were reintroduced to the park, the elk were forced to stay on the move, which no longer allowed them to decimate the willow trees. More willow trees led to more successful beaver populations, which improved the water table and decreased erosion. The willows also provided shade for fish and homes for songbirds. All of this because of one species. It's our responsibility to take care of our planet and its inhabitants. We've been irresponsible with our planet, treating it like humans are the only thing that matters, when in reality, we're only a small part of a global ecosystem. But we have managed to make a massive negative impact. It's time for change, and it's time for us to treat our Earth with respect. While we know that unicorns aren't real, the word has come to be known colloquially as a term for something rare or hard to find. And in that regard, we've managed to make the unicorn a reality. We've turned dozens of species into things that are rare and hard to find. Unicorns in their own right. Humans are killing the planet, and our destructive nature and patent disregard for anything beside ourselves will leave us with nothing if we don't change our ways. Thanks for listening to this episode of WISE. You can learn more about endangered species and what you can do to save them at worldwildlife.org. Please help me continue to create content by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash wisepodcast. If you have ideas or requests for future episodes, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at awisepodcast or email me at awisepodcast at gmail.com.